Joel chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Joel, the son of Bethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give an ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and let their children tell other generations. Now, before you shout, I want you to understand that he's not talking about has anything this good ever happened before. He's talking about has this world ever been in the condition that it is in like it is now before. This is Joel, Old Testament. Listen as he describes the condition of the world in which he prophesied. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Let me tell you what that means. That means it's all gone. That means the tree that represents fruit that represents harvest, the fields that represents harvest, not only do they look dead and dry, they are gone. There is no evidence that they ever existed because every form of locust, every form of swarm that devours the harvest has been sent by the enemy. He says in verse 5, Awake, you drunkards, and weep. In other words, while you watched your family being destroyed, while you watched a nation crumble, instead of doing anything about it, you went to the world's solution. And you have drank yourself silly to where you are asleep and you are no longer moved by what you see. Are you hearing me? You can turn me down just a hair on the monitors. You are asleep. You are drunk. And you are at a place where you don't even realize everything you have tried to build has been destroyed. But you're having your own little party over there. You're hooping and hollering and partying with your buddies. You're drunk and you're asleep. He says, awake you drunkards and weep. This should break your heart what you're looking at. Well... How I many of those just one thing to cry, it's another thing to wail? Are you with me, church? All you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. You ain't drinking the new wine. You're drinking the old stuff. But there's a new wine coming that if you will wake up, if you will wail and weep because of the condition and mourn between the porch and the altar, wake up, then there's something coming 
better than anything you've ever lost. Has anybody, or is it just me, ever been in a place where it felt like you just got through one battle and you're praising God and you're thanking God and you're dancing in the Holy Ghost and then you start hearing another swarm coming and you look up and you say, are you kidding me? I thought I was done, but here comes another swarm. And then you make it through that one where you say, well, you know what? I made it. I'm alive. I ain't got much left, but I got a little bit left. I got a little bit left. I'm going to praise God. And you're just about to eat what little bit left you got. And here comes another swarm. Am I the only one? And then you feel like, my God, I got just a crumb left. I'll just be like that woman in the Bible. I'll eat a crumb and then I'll, I'll just die. At least I'll have something on my belly. And just before I'm about to eat a crumb, here comes a consuming locust. Snatches up what little bit I got left. Let me tell you what the motive of that attack is. The motive of that unrelenting wave of attack from the enemy is to wear you down to the place where you begin to shake your fist at God. Because what kind of loving or good God? Oh, I can understand, Lord. I know I'm going to have to go through attacks. I can understand that first attack. But you just kept letting it come and kept letting it come until I ain't got nothing left. What kind of God would do that? I'm preaching better than you shout. And I want you to notice a couple of things today, y'all. And I'm setting up my series. This is a setup. Look at your neighbor and tell you, today's a setup. I want you to notice that before he ever began to lay out the condition of the nation and how the nation got in the mess that it is in, the first thing he said was said, elders, listen up. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Then he tells everybody else, all the inhabitants of the land, listen. But the first thing he said was, you better listen up, elders. Because we need you in the game greater than you could have ever imagined. Because the inhabitants of the land don't know what to do. But you do. Oh, I'm preaching good. I can always tell. The elders, not just in age, but he is talking to those that are in age because I'm going to just stop and preach a little bit right here and say that one of the saddest things that's happened to the relevant modern church is we have X'd out the older people who have experience, who have knows how to fight the fight, and we put them in the back row or run them off to the smaller church down the road because our big relevant church with lights and smoke and all the different kinds of music, we have pushed them out and said that they don't matter anymore, but I got news for you. We're going to be a church that values those that have been in the fight. Another reason we're going to value them is because I'm one of them. But not just elders in age. How many of those we should learn from our elders? Those that are older and more experienced. But also 
experience. People, you might not be older, but you've, you've, you're strong and you're an adult in the Lord and you've been in the fight. You would be surprised how, how an, a young person can be an elder spiritually to someone that is older than them to speak things into their life because that older person has never been where that younger person has been. I'm preaching good. You see, it is the elders. And if I could, I'll just slash ministers. The elders and ministers should be the ones that know what is going on. But many times we are the very ones that give in to the attack, gripe and complain, start murmuring and gossip, and leave the church and split the church because instead of understanding what kind of attack it was and what the purpose of the attack is, we hop, tail, and run because we may be an elder in stature, we may be an elder in age, but we have never grown up spiritually. I told you if you're on Facebook, we're going to talk, we're going to deal with some stuff today. The elders of the church have forgotten who they are. The elders of the church have forgotten their commitments that they have made to God. I'm preaching to some of you in this room right now. In fact, let me just rephrase that. I'm preaching to a lot of you in this room right now. We have forgotten the things we have told God we would do. Joel then asked the question, has anybody ever seen anything like this in their life? Or even the life of your fathers? In other words, did your daddy and your mama even tell you about anything like it is today? Let me tell you something. There has been, his, there has been things in this country that have been great. There are things that have been in this country that have been horrendous, sickening, and demonic. I'm not about to say that the condition of this world and the condition of this nation is worse than they have been in other horrible conditions. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this. I don't know if we've ever seen a political and religious environment like we see in this nation right now. Let me tell you what's fueling a political divide. The religious divide. There would be no political divide if we just knew who we were in the body of Christ. That don't mean if we knew who we were in the body of Christ, we'd be a Republican or we'd be a Democrat. No, we would be kingdom. And when you are kingdom, you're in the army of the Lord. And you understand that the word of God is true and let every man be a liar. Well, I, my amen corner is getting quiet. How many will just go ahead right now and say, preach on, Pastor? Thank you. Thank you, sister. You are my one-woman amen corner sometimes, sister. I'll tell you what, I don't know what I'd do without you. He said, this is big. 
This is unlike anything we've ever seen. But now listen, you got to get me. The next few minutes, you got to get what I'm saying. I don't want you to be confused to think that when he said, you need to tell your children about this moment. You need to tell your children after you're gone to make sure they tell their children about this moment. And then go ahead and tell your children while they're telling their children, the second generation, go ahead and tell that, ge that generation. You make sure you tell every generation what I'm about to tell you. I don't want you to get confused to think that Joel is telling that to the elders and the people to tell them for generations to come of about how bad it was. How I many of God don't want us passing down generations how bad it is? You got to read the rest of the book. See, you got to understand the condition. The locusts attacked the vegetation. They attacked what was growing. But not only did they attack what was growing, they attacked the potential of what could grow beyond that moment. Their, their agenda was not just to take away the fruit and the vegetation. Their agenda was to remove hope. Because if you've got an orchard of apple trees and your family has lived for years and years on selling apples and somebody comes in and don't just cut down the apple trees but brings in a bulldozer and digs up the root system of every apple tree in your orchard, they have not just taken away next week's paycheck. They've not just taken away what you're going to do in your retirement. They have removed a generational blessing and replaced it with a generational curse. Because now, not only do you not have an apple, you can't grow any more apples. People have said this about our country. Well, we can have a revival, but we could never go back. Things are so different, it'll never be the way it used to be. Can I tell you something? True. And can I tell you something else? Thank you, Jesus. Because I don't want to go back to the way it was. Because the way it was, was hell just like it is now. In a different form. I, I just want to see God rebuild the principles that we lost. Bring them back to this time. Trying to preach. See, this was a prophecy. By the prophet Joel. But are you thankful for the word of God? I love the word of God. It's the only book that can speak of a literal historical moment. But also line upon line speak prophetically of a future generation. See, Joel probably didn't realize that chapter 2 of Joel would one day illustrate... And be preached by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 to another group of drunk people. Remember, he just said, y'all are drunk. 
You're drinking the old wine. You can't even see the condition of the world you're in. He had no idea that Peter would be anointed by God to stand up and preach to another group of junk, drunk people and say, these men are not drunk as you suppose, but this is that the prophet Joel spoke of. Now, wait a minute. This is that the prophet Joel spoke of. I don't remember Peter saying anything about locusts, creeping locusts, crawling locusts, consuming locusts, swarming locusts. No. See, the chewing locusts, it's a little nugget within a nugget. These are demon spirits that constantly gnaw at your flesh. Some of y'all, some of y'all got chewing locusts in your house. Now, I ain't talking about your wife or your husband. Although, they can be used. Some of y'all work with some chewing locusts that gnaw at your flesh, trying to get a reaction. The swarming locusts are demon spirits that follow you wherever you go. I mean, you ever been in a swarm of gnats? I mean, no matter where you go, you know the only way you can get rid of a gnat? This wasn't in my notes, but this is a pre. This is the only way you can get rid of a swarm of gnats around your face. You got to raise your hand. Because when you raise your hand, guess what happens to the gnats? They go up to your hand. Because the swarm will always try to knock out what is up the highest. You wonder why you get attacked like you get attacked? It's because of where you are in God. I don't mean this no disrespect to other people, but everybody don't get attacked by the swarming locusts. Swarming locusts don't deal with the people who's laying on, on their back, griping and complaining and whining and moaning. No, the ones that are high, those, those that are, what do you call it? He said, listen, elders, listen, ministers. That's why you're being attacked. The crawling locusts, they get you when you're down. These are demons that bite you at your lowest. They fly in, but then they hit the ground and they stay on the ground looking to consume people who are already down. And after you've been chewed on, after you've had a swarm that you couldn't shake and you just finally give up and fall down, then you are the crawling locust crawl all over you and you don't feel any semblance of the man or woman of God you used to be. Then the consuming locusts come in and try to go ahead and take you out. The consuming locusts are demons who consume any dignity, joy, or hope that you have left. Coming with them is a suicide spirit. Coming with them is a quitting spirit. Coming with them is a resigning spirit. Coming with them is a running spirit. They'll tell you the only way you could ever change this situation is to quit it all. The world would be better off if you were not even here. 
When you get to that point, it seems all hope is lost. But God. But <laughs> you got to understand something. Joel would have never been moved by God to say, hey, elders, wake up. Hey, inhabitants of the earth, wake up. You drunkards who are in slumber, what I'm about to tell you, you tell your kids about it. You make sure every child you have knows about it. Then you, when you get through telling your kids about it, you tell your kids to tell your, their kids about it. Then you train them to tell every generation about it. It wasn't about the, the destruction. It was about, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story. Right after that in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. We've already sang it this, uh, today. He said this. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Where's my trumpet? It's gone. Give him a trumpet. Bring my trumpet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, the word trumpet is what we got in the English version, but it's the shofar. They didn't have no brass trumpet back then. They had a ram's horn. How many of those, you can't blow a ram's horn without a ram dying? Something had to die. Something had to bleed. Something had to be gutted in order for you to even blow a trumpet in Zion. Sometimes the only way you can even shout is because of the blood, sweat, and tears that went before you. The generals. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Now, God, you understand, he just got through telling us we are desolate. There is nothing left of what we used to be. It's all gone. And he has the audacity to say, blow the trumpet in Zion. How many if you ain't got nothing to eat, you're weak? How can you fight when you have been relentlessly been beaten and stabbed and gnawed and shot and kicked. And you ain't got nothing left to where you're saying things like, the world would be better off without me. And here comes the same prophet who just identified your condition says to you, wake up. You are asleep. This is not the real deal. You are in a nightmare. Wake up. This is not who you are, and this is not your last condition. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. Jesus, it's 1133 and I feel like I could preach three hours. The blowing of the shofar was for a warning, but it was also for a gathering. In this instance, it was both. It was God trying to be your alarm clock. 
Some of y'all don't mean this critical because y'all told me this. Some of y'all didn't told me this. Y'all got 10 alarms set rolling out in five-minute snooze increments. <laughs> I'm talking about you, you know there ain't no way you're going to wake up with the first alarm. You know yourself so well that you premeditate, I'm going to tell that first alarm to shut up. Then the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one. And by the time I get to the sixth or the seventh one, I'm somehow between the two worlds in a drunken state to where by the number 10 gets here, I got enough in me to make it to the bathroom. Let's be real. That's where we all go first. And then to the coffee pot. Right. I'm thinking about starting to drink coffee in my old age. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it, but y'all going to have to make it taste like hot chocolate. It's a warning. Wake up! Can I be real with some of y'all right now? You know why some of y'all can't wake up in the morning on time? Because you done stayed up too late watching and dealing with too much stuff when you should have been in the bed. You should have already been resting. But no, you got to sit up in front of that one-eyed devil, the way the preachers used to call it. That TV, that screen now. You scrolling and staying up late for stupid stuff that don't even matter, a hill of beans. And then you wonder why you can't wake up in the morning because you ain't getting the rest that you need. Mm-hmm. Wake up! Somebody shout, wake up! But not only was it a warning and a wake up, it was a gathering call. In fact, the prophet says, gather the elders. The elders would have been another word for in the kingdom army, the generals. Before we go any further in this battle, because this is a, this is a battle cry. Bring me the generals. Bring me the elders. Verse 12 says this to chapter 2 of Joel. Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. We just sang that in that song. Rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, that's what the religious priests would do. It was a fake, made-up religious way to show mourning. You read it throughout Scripture, some of them were genuine, but it was, it was birthed in, a genu in something genuine, but it became religious to where if something happened, they would ritualistically tear the sackcloth or tear their garment open, and they'd pour ash on their head, and people would look and say, oh, look, the priests are mourning. When they were really just thinking, wow, I need to go ahead and get this over with, make sure everybody thinks that I'm doing something good so I can, so I can go uh, out with my girlfriend tonight that ain't my wife. Or I can, go, I can go do this and do that and sit up and look at porn at night. Come on. 
He said, I'm tired of preachers knowing how to work a crowd, knowing how to do the head just right. All they're really doing is ripping their garments and doing religious things when they're going out there and they're not living like they're supposed to be living. They got secret sin. They got things that are going on in their life that they're going to answer to God for. Let me tell you something. God said, I'm ready for you to rip your heart open, not your garment. Why in the world? How in the world? Whether it be a preacher, whether it be you, how in the world do we think that we can somehow get away with it if we hide it from everybody else that we're going to somehow hide it from God? Gather the elders. Let the ministers well. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious. And merciful. Are you thankful for this one? Slow to anger. And of great kindness. Notice it didn't say he don't get angry. He just said he's slow to get there. And he relents from doing harm. God is for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. That was pretty good. Oh, but y'all, blow the trumpet in Zion. Woo, yes, yeah, time to dance. Wait a minute. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Y'all don't want me to blow a trumpet to consecrate a fast. Y'all want me to blow a trumpet when Rod Parsley's coming or blow a trumpet when Perry Stone's coming or blow a trumpet when the, when the praise team's rocking the house and we get to dance and sweat up and juke and jive. But I'm calling a fast. I'm calling a sacred assembly. Keep going. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. In other words, get everybody here. I got something to say. Verse 17. Let the priests who minister the word. Oh, I love this. Weep between the porch and the altar. Would to God that preachers would go to the altar again. I don't even know if I could even preach on Sunday if I didn't have some time in this altar. I have to get out here. I have to get it just like you. And there's been times that I've been standing right there and I knew there were things that I had said, thought, and done that wasn't right. And I fell on my knees right here and I said, God, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Restoring to me the joy of my salvation. I can't tell you the time. You didn't know it, but me and God knew it, that I was having to get some things right with God at this altar before I could even preach. Because I don't, I don't want to preach the gospel when I'm trying to deal with and live with secret sin. I want to be a man of God. I just want to be a man of God. I want my people to know that when they hear me preaching, I'm not working you. you what you see is what you get. I want to be a man of God that you can trust to equip you in this battle. To rest- 
I ain't saying that so you can pat me on the back. But I come through too much to play a game with you. They ain't playing. They ain't playing no game. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them, who? The preachers, the elders, the ministers, the priests. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to the reproach. That the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the people, where is their God? That's this is what he's saying. God, with the God, that the preachers would realize that they've got to get on their face before God and say, God, whatever you do, don't let this be the end of your people. Because all the other people that have not bowed to you, they're mocking us. Because four different waves of locusts have wiped us out. And they, it looks like that everything we told them about you, that's, there's no truth in it. I know you said you'd never leave us. I know you said you'd never forsake us. But I got to be real with you. This has got to be where the preachers get. I got to be real with you, God. I preach it every week. I study it every day. But when I look out and see the condition, I got to be real with you, God. I need your help because it looks like you're nowhere to be found. Am I the only one that's ever been there? Am I the only one that's ever said, God, I know what I preach Sunday, but I got news with you. I'm having a hard time believing it today. I preached it and I believed it then because I was under the anointing. But right now I'm not under that anointing. I'm just Larry Joe Ragland trying to be a father, trying to be a husband. And everything I prayed for my kids and for my family and for my life, it don't look like the answers of the Lord are yes and amen to me. Being real with you, God. God, how many believes that Jesus is real? How many believes that he died on the cross? Say amen. How many believes he came back from the dead? Say amen. But now wait a minute. I think everybody really believes that in this place. I hope you do. But how many really believes the same God that died on the cross, came back from the dead, is coming again? How many believes he's coming again? See, the people don't believe that anymore. Because they've heard preachers say it for so many years. They're numb to it. But I remember the angel said, Why stand you gazing? For as in like manner as you see him go away, so shall he come again. But not only do I remember the word of God says this, I also remember the word of God says in the book of Joel that we're reading right now, in the book of Acts that we've been preaching from for over a year. I remember the Bible says in the last days, that would be the days before he returns. 
something is going to happen. But it's going to happen. Do you think, you said you believe he's coming back, right? Do you think Jesus is going to come back for a church that's weaker, more defeated than the first, second, third, tenth, hundredth generation of the church? In fact, he said this generation would be unlike any revival we've ever seen. But that scripture that we quote about that end time revival doesn't start. I'm telling you right now, if you'll get what I'm about to say, and you know where I'm about to go with this series, you will not stop till you have filled a pew every Sunday from now on. Because there will be a mandate on you for harvest like you have never seen in your life. That revival does not birth with a decision of God to pour out His Spirit. It is birthed out of the ashes of a generation like none of us have ever seen before. That's what He said. Now listen, he said it's total destruction. Everything we knew is gone. But then something happens in the midst of that. The people finally gather together. It's called unity. But you know where it starts? It starts with the preachers and the elders and the leaders, this is what Joel said, falling in between the porch and the altar and weeping and crying out to God, God, don't let this be the way we go out. Don't let this be the way we go out. I'm 51 years old. Do you think the next 25 or 30 years or wherever how long God's got left for me, I'm going out with less and weaker? I don't care what happens to my body. That ain't going to change who I am. Good God Almighty. It starts in the altar. Without being critical, let me ask you a question. If it starts in the altar, then why are we taking the altars out? How are we ever going to see this if we don't have a place for people to come and, ha and have things burn off of them? See, he says, come and weep between the porch and the altar. What's so key about that is the porch of the temple 
and the altar of burnt offerings is what he was talking about. This would have been the place directly in front of the door of the holy place where the presence of God is enthroned. This is where the priests would stand as mediators for the nation and would intercede for tears. This was implying that they had done that in the beginning, but now they were going through the religious ritualistic things and they were going from the from the altar. They were going to, to, the, to the laver and they were going to all these different places. They were doing all of their duties, but they were failing to stop and weep for the sins of a nation. And they were the ones shaking their head, looking at their people going, what in the world has happened to my church? And the church is looking at, at the priest going, well, what in the world has happened to you? I got 10 minutes. Actually, I don't because I got other stuff I got to do, but Whatever. It's time for the mighty men of God to be reignited and then for them to mentor us so that we can know how to go into the presence of God again. I don't know about you, but I'm tired about I'm tired of reading books and online blogs about how God used to make eyeballs grow inside empty eye sockets and lame walk in church services. I'm tired of reading about the dead being raised in funeral homes. I'm tired of reading about legs growing in front of people and arms growing where there was no arm. Those are great stories and many of those generals have died and gone on, but some of them are still here and some of them, listen, we need, and some of them have lost their fire and lost their passion because they look at the condition of those that are around them and they wonder, do they even know about what I was raised in? We need that fire back. Tired of reading about stuff. I want to see it happen in my own life. I want to see it happen in this church. I want to see it happen in your family. I want to see it happen in your house. Sit down for a second. This is what he says. Verse 23. After the preachers start weeping, he says, Be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. Jesus. For he has given you. <laughs> Woo, I feel God. For he has given you the former rain. Watch this faithfully and he will cause that rain to come down for you the former rain and the latter rain in the first month now 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 you got to hear me What is he talking about? He is talking to a people who have nothing. They have lost the leaf. They have lost the fruit. They have lost the branch. They have lost the stem. They have lost the trunk. In fact, 
The only thing left is dryness, deadness, and dust. But here's the thing you've got to get about God. This is why I say, but God. See, it'd be one thing, and I could preach it because we don't really know it. There's probably a few roots left in that ground. How many of those you can cut a tree down and bury it, what's left of it, with dirt, and everybody comes to your yard, the tree is gone. But if you don't weed eat that thing or cut where that tree is, life finds a way. Because if there's still a root underneath that dirt, it's coming out. Are you hearing me? But now I'm talking to some people who's had their roots dug up too. I'm talking about some, I'm talking about some people that kept claiming that promise and kept pouring some water on it, but nothing was coming up because the roots have even been dug up. Because that, that, that consuming locust digs deep into the dirt and eats the roots. Here's why I say, but God. If you're planting peas in your pea patch... Are you planting corn? Every, every husk of corn, every tomato, every apple, every pear, every fruit or vegetable that has ever been consumed or grown, all can be traced back to the first one that was made by God. Because they're all regrown by the seeds of the former generation. But see, when it looks like there ain't even nothing left, we are the seed sowers, but he is the seed maker. Huh? Oh, y'all didn't hear me. See, God, when you're faithful, can give you a seed to plant when you didn't even have nothing. And when you're operating in favor, God will give you seed that you didn't have and then he'll cause it to rain on you in the former and the latter rain in the same month. Now, why is that so important? Listen, don't nobody help me preach if you already know the answer because you ruin it for everybody else. Listen to me. Here's why it's so powerful. You got to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a generation that he just got through saying, you make sure every generation knows what God is saying right now and what he's doing. This is a generation who has lost everything, including the seed to even start over. But then God says, I will cause the rain to come down. What's the next two words? Oh, y'all didn't, didn't, didn't even know what you even just read. Sometimes it just rains because God has set it up because trees need rain and things need rain. But sometimes it rains for you. Sometimes God says, I will cause it to rain just for you. Now he's talking to a whole nation, though. Now listen, i got to close. The former rain and the latter rain at the same time. 
Why is that important? Because if you study it out, you'll find that the former rain, this is the English version, but if you talk to a Jewish person, they would tell you the former rain is called the planting rain. That's the rain that comes in the planting season. So they plant in the they they plant in the former rain, the planting rain, and it rains for a while, and then they have to wait, and it go through a drought where it's a dry season, and then it rains again to finish off the harvest. That latter rain is called the harvest rain. So it rains at the planting. It doesn't rain hardly at all during the growing. And then in the Jewish area, in the Middle East, it rains again. It's a raining season at the harvest season to loosen up the dirt, to make it easier, to give them the last kick to go in and growing into everything they're supposed to be. But God speaks to a generation who's lost everything. But he says... I'm going to give you. If they ain't got seed, if they ain't got nothing, what good is a what good is rain if there's not something to grow? He made sure, he says, a former and a latter rain combined in the same month for you. In other words, he says, I'm going to come back and plant, replant your whole garden for you. I know what it looks like. Verse 24. And the threshing floor shall be what full of wheat and the vats shall overflow notice that he made a point to say with new wine and oil i'm talking about a generation that lost everything and in one month not only did they have a great harvest but they were able to harvest enough in less than one month to where they didn't even have enough room to store the wheat. And they were already able to make so much oil and so much wine that the, they didn't have enough containers to even hold what God restored. Verse 25. So. Somebody shout so. Oh, I love this. So I will restore to you the years. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Watch what he says. The years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you, but you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, I am the Lord your God and there is no no other my people shall never be put to shame somebody praise him somebody praise him Ow! hallelujah sit down ain't none of y'all going home anyway because you're going to pack boxes today at two o'clock Wait a minute. I know what time it is. It's 12 o'clock straight up. Isn't it awesome? It had been one thing for God to move on the prophet to say, and I'll restore to you what you lost. But isn't it awesome that he 
made a point to say, first of all, I'm not just restoring a blessing. I'm restoring years that you lost. I'm talking about years of suffering and pain and wonder. In one month, I'm going to restore years. But then he made a point to say, hey, while y'all still worried about the swarming and and the crawling and the gnawing and the consuming locusts, every wave that came in, I have a record of everything they took. See, if the thief be found, he's got to restore sevenfold. So he makes a point to say, I'll restore the years. And he line upon line lists all the four that destroyed you. And said, I'm going to give back to you every single wave of attack in one month. Now. And it shall come to pass. Very next verse. Afterward. Stop. Take the scripture down. Take it down. And it shall come to pass. What? Afterward. See, the Pentecostal church wants to preach Joel chapter 2. Because right after that, it's the famous thing that Peter stands up in the, in the room and says, And in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Young men shall see vision. Y'all know that scripture? But you got to read it in context. He was speaking to a people that knew the book of Joel. So when he called their mind back to this, it shall come to pass in the last days of pour my spirit on all flesh. He knew they knew what all was listed before that. He knew those 120 and the first church knew that if we want to see God do a move, if we want to be a part of that generation where he pours his spirit out on all flesh, then we have got to stay in the altar. We have got to weep and we have got to confess and we have got to sometimes go through some stuff. You're going to have, you're, listen, you're going to be attacked. If you are following a preacher that tells you that once you're saved, you are never going to have to go through hell and you ain't going to think about quitting and you ain't never going to get sick. You need to find a new preacher because he ain't even a preacher. He's a false prophet. Put it back up there and I close. And it shall come to pass. Say it loud. Afterward. How many knows that word means everything I just said. After that. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. After what? Great loss. The gathering of the elders. The blowing of the shofar. Prayer and weeping in the altar. Then and only then will he pour out his spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, the current generation, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. The generals, they will long for the days that were when they were a young generation. The young men will see visions. Current generations seeing from God. We'll come together. The old men will learn from the young men. The young men, and of course, when I say men, I mean men and women. They will learn from the older.
Wake up the mighty man. Rod Parsley sent me a text. I'm literally, I, I, I said to myself, my God, I'm glad I'm sitting down reading this text. He said, the week after Elevate, he texted me. And I say this with humility, but I'm just going to tell you what he said. He said, I have talked about you many times to many people over the last two days. Thank you. You and your church changed me. I'm quoting. And refocused me. Thank you. Thank you. That's what Rob Parsley said. I told that to Bishop Steve Davis. And he said, you know what that is? We are the generation that God is raising up to reignite the flames of the generals. <laughs> that they are battle-weary. And they are wondering, will this generation even know where I've been? But there is a generation that's crying out and saying, take us. Show us what it means to lay hands upon the sick. Show us what it means to pray all night long. To have a prayer meeting and more than five people show up in a church that runs 400. Are you still with me, church? Are you coming back next Sunday? Say amen. amen. I want to close by this, this statement. I've read it to some of you. I've read it publicly. Some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't heard it. But I want you to listen. And I want you to think about how it describes the world in which we live. Brethren, preachers. He was talking to a group of preachers. Hundreds of preachers and ministers and elders. Our preaching will bear its legitimate fruit. If immorality prevails in our land, the fault is ours to a great degree. If there is a decay of conscience, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the public press lacks moral discrimination, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the church is degenerate and becomes worldly, the pulpit is responsible for it. If the world loses its interest in religion, the pulpit is responsible for it. If Satan, listen to this one, rules in our halls of legislation, the pulpit is responsible for it. If our politics become so corrupt that the very foundation of our government is ready to fall away, the pulpit is responsible for it. Let us not ignore this fact, my dear brethren, but let us lay it to heart and be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect to the morals of this nation. Spoken by Reverend Charles Finney to a group of ministers in New York City 
in 1875. Even then, God was trying to warn us. But God, it's not too late. I look around the landscape of the church. Billy Graham is gone. Oral Roberts is gone. Kenneth Hagin is gone. Lester Summerall's gone. Catherine Coleman's gone. Jack Coe's gone. William Brandon's gone. Then the list goes on and on. Willie Seymour, gone, been gone for years. What we read about in books called God's Generals, almost all of them are dead and gone. But are we going to accept that that means because that generation is dead and gone that there is no generals? I posted... This, this is how silly this, this, the church has become. I posted something before Elevate Conference, and I said, these three generals are coming in 10 days or something like that. I had preachers commenting things like, there is no generals except the general Jesus Christ. I mean, I thought, you, you, can I just tell you what I thought? I thought, you're an idiot. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I thought, I said, you, you call yourself a preacher. You don't even know what, you don't even know the word of God. You think that was my intention to try to make these people think that they're somehow elite? What I meant was these are men of God who are coming in who have been in the battle for generations. And there is a mantle on them that we need on us before they're gone. We cannot let them go till they pass it down to us. Where are the Elishas that are running after the Elijahs and saying as the Lord God lives and as I live, I will not leave thee. People getting offended when I say things to them like, if you want what's on me, you're going to have to chase me. For years, people have to, well, I'm not going to chase no man. That is not what I mean. I don't mean chase me because I'm something bigger and better than you. I must mean that I know I got something on me that you need. If you want it, you can have it. But I'm not going to run you down and make you take it. Listen, I said to God, I said, God, right before I turned 50, I said, God, I thank God for the men of God that are in my life. But where I need to go, I need you to send me some generals. I remember saying that three years ago. God, I need you to send. I didn't know who they were. I said, God, send generals into my life that can pour things into my, my life that can quickly, quickly take this church where it needs to go before I'm out of here. I don't want to leave this world. I don't want to leave you whenever I leave you. Not doing what God called me to do for you. And there's a lot that I ain't done. So I said, God, I need some generals to come in my life. Three years ago, I began to pray that. And in one year, it's only been a year, God has begun to bring people 
like Clint Brown, Rod Parsley, Perry Stone, other people, Tudor Bismarck. I mean, men of God around in this area and around the world that I would have never been connected to before that are coming into my life and speaking to my life. And you know what they're all saying? They're all saying, something is in this house. All three of them, when they left, all three of them said, there's something in this house. And you know what? I don't think you really see it yet. And I, th I think a lot of you, I mean this with respect, including myself to a, to a level. We take it for granted. And we don't really see and know what God is doing. I don't know how in the world we ended up planning on having all these things to do on the day I was coming back from preaching since the first time since September 29th. But it happened. Whew. Where's your bucket at? Just bring it up here. Just set it down right there, Miss Joan. I'll draw him. Okay, okay. I'll draw him. Hallelujah. Okay. Okay. He that I must send that I must go to that I must send it. He shut that on a month ago. He that I must sort I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Woo! Delane! I need you to run over there under that balcony and see if you see anything. Look up. Hurry, hurry, run, run, run. We're running out of time. Look up. Come back. Come to about where the camera is. Did you see anything? Go check again. Go check again. Look up. Do you see anything? Have you been praying? Go back and look again. Look up. Surely you see it. Do you see it? Turn around, look again, man. What's wrong with you? Look again. You see it? Shh. You see it? Delane, we've been together for years. You know my heart. Look again. Look again. Look again. Look up. Look up. Look up. What do you see? How many times have you looked? Go look again. Go look again. Go look again. My God, son. Dean of Ambassadors College. Surely you've been praying and seeking God. What do you see? Six times, man. Do you see anything? Delane? I've preached my heart out. I know God told me to tell you to do this. Go look one more time. Delane, do you see anything? You see a cloud. What? 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 Oh, it's a cloud in the shape of a hand of a man. 
You know what that tells me? I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Now, Delane, for those that think it was planned, was that planned? It was not planned. He didn't know nothing. I wouldn't lie to you. I didn't tell him to do that. He had no idea I was going to ask him to do that. But you know why he knew to do that? He's a student of the Word of God. And when the people of God were in a drought and they were praying for rain to happen immediately, the prophet looked at his assistant and said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And everybody said, I don't see a cloud anywhere in the sky. And he told his prophet to go look. And six times his assistant came back. And six times his assistant said, I know you hear something, but I don't see anything. He said, but you know what? I was never going to stop at the number of man. I'm going to take you to the number of the Holy Ghost. And he sent him a seventh time. And his assistant said, Sir, all I could see is a tiny little cloud. But when I looked at it, it looked like the hand of a man. That's where I'm at. You may not see it. You may not hear it. But I can hear it. And I can see it. And it's small, but it's getting bigger. Do you know what the prophet said? You better dig some ditches and you better start running. Because when the former and the latter rain combines in one month, that's a flood. And you better be prepared to channel that water, to send it to places that needs it. generals are being reignited they've been tilling they've been digging and God said beat your plowshares in the swords and your pruning hooks are you hearing me it's time to fight if you're here today I preach I think I've preached close to two hours and I don't care I don't know probably not that long it feels like it I don't care. I don't care. You hear me? I don't care. I love you. I, I, I respect your time. But at this moment, this is what we needed. And this ain't because I hadn't preached since September 29th. I would have preached like this if I preached last week. If you need to come to these altars for any reason, you come and fall on your face right now. Come on. Just come on and get on your knees. Just come and get on your knees. I ain't leading you in no prayer. This is between you and God. This is between you and God. Tell him. Tell him. 